Well, William Gladstone was born in the year 1809, ten years before Queen Victoria. He was saved at the age of ten. That's good, isn't it? Good to be saved as a child. And it can happen. Wasn't it Matthew Henry, the commentator, saved at four? It can happen. i tell you why it can happen, folks. Do you know why children can be saved? Because it's not man's work, it's God's work. It's a divine work. It's a miracle. And at the age of ten, young William Gladstone came to know Jesus Christ as his saviour. His mother wrote to a friend and she described the joy that she had because her boy had been, and I quote, truly converted to God. Truly converted to God. Have you been converted? Jesus said, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. You need to be born again. You must be born again, the hymn writer said. I verily, verily say unto you, you must be born again. No other way. No way around it. No back door into heaven. William was born again at the age of 10. That's a good start for any prime minister, any future prime minister. Well, whenever he went into politics, eventually the time came when he became the Prime Minister, although it's amazing, he was actually the Chancellor of the Exchequer as well. So he was, he was an amazing statesman. And in fact, he, I don't know how he managed it, but he was Prime Minister and Chancellor at the same time. Not quite sure how he, he juggled both balls, but he did. He was the Prime Minister for 12 years beginning in the year 1868. During his premiership, this is what he wrote to a friend. It was the year 1877. He wrote to a friend in the city of Manchester, and this is what he said. Now listen. Christianity is Christ. That's good, isn't it? Christianity is Christ. In 1888, writing in a magazine, he said something similar. Christianity without Christ is no Christianity. You see, here was a prime minister who loved Jesus Christ. He knew that Christianity wasn't just a religion. It was much more than that. It was a relationship. And Mr. Gladstone enjoyed a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Converted at the age of 10. He's truly converted. And throughout all the years of his remaining life, he followed the Lord and he lived for the Lord. His conversion at the age of 10 wasn't like the morning dew. It wasn't a false conversion. You get a whole lot of them, don't you? A whole lot of people supposedly make decisions for Christ 
Yes, praise God for true conversions. Wonderful. We rejoice. We pray for the young, we pray for the young converts. But sometimes I say to people, just hold on for about six months and we'll see how things are going then. And we'll just see what the prayer meeting's like. And we'll just see if there's any hunger for the word of God. Well, that was certainly the case for Britain's greatest prime minister. He loved the word of God. He loved prayer. He lived in North Wales and he used to go every Sunday to the little village church and he would read the lessons. He was an Anglican. He'd read the scriptures. And it's recorded that when he read, he was very particular and careful about his reading. And he read in such a reverent way. Didn't rush through it. Didn't read in a haphazard kind of a manner. But there he was, very happy in the little village church each Lord's Day. He loved communion, by the way. Even at his deathbed, he received communion as he lay dying. Loved to remember what the Lord had done for him. It's recorded that when he was able to go to the village church, when he was in better health and they had communion... And everyone else would go to the front and receive the bread and the wine. But Mr. Gladstone would go to the front and he would just kneel and he'd just stay there on his knees. Throughout the communion service, just so thankful for the shed blood and the broken body of the Lord Jesus. He was a close friend. Of the Bishop of St. Andrews. And this is what the Bishop had to say about Mr. Gladstone. I shall never forget an hour that we spent together in Mr. Gladstone's library. He opened his inmost heart to me. He felt sin to be a horrible thing. A cursed thing. A thing that had nailed the Son of God to the cross. Is that you tonight? Is that our attitude towards sin tonight? While the world out there makes a mock of sin and laughs at sin and enjoys sin, what is our attitude to it? Well, wasn't it Spurgeon who used to say, Sin killed my best friend, so it's my mortal enemy. Sin killed my best friend. And that was the attitude of William Gladstone. And you see, it's true, isn't it? Sin is a horrible thing. It's a cursed thing. Once you begin to see sin in its true light then you're halfway to the cross you'll never come to the cross that we were singing about at the beginning unless you realize something of the depravity of your sin you never come to Christ 
until you begin to feel the weight of your sin. Sure, you wouldn't go to the doctor if you didn't feel sick. Well, sin-sick souls realize their need of Jesus and they make a beeline for him. As I have already mentioned, Mr. Gladstone lived actually for 60 years apparently in North Wales in a little village. In his home today is a memorial and it goes like this. These are actually his words, his own words. All I think, all I write, all I am is based on the divinity of Jesus Christ, the central hope of our poor wayward race. Don't you love that? Jesus Christ, the divine Son of God, the central hope of our poor wayward race. You know, folks, as you read these things, you just long for a prime minister like this today, don't you? That's what we need to pray for. God answers prayer. Didn't we emphasize that this morning, this past week? How the Lord has put the whole abortion regulations into disarray. I hope that none of us are underestimating what has happened this last week. Oh, God answers prayer. In fact, as the old chorus goes, he has a thousand ways to answer every prayer. Well, when it came to the end of Mr. Gladstone's earthly journey, he was visited on his deathbed by the widow of the Archbishop of Canterbury. Uh, The Archbishop was called Benson. Mrs. Benson came to Mr. Gladstone as he lay dying and he was, she was ushered into his chamber and he reached out and took her hand and kissed her hand and he said, God bless you, madam. Will you pray for me? This is the best bit. You know what he said? Nobody needs your prayers more than the poor sinner who lies before you. This is the Prime Minister of Great Britain, a man who has been saved for years, decades. And yet he says he calls himself a poor sinner. Boy, he must definitely have been saved. You see, it's the people who get to the end of the journey and they're boasting about themselves and all their experiences and all that they have done for the Lord. That's Boy, I would be very worried if I had to read and pray at somebody like that at their bedside. Before they go out and leave this scene of time, that wouldn't be, it wouldn't be very nice to sit at their bedside and read, and read God's word and pray with them. I'd be, I'd be kind of beginning to doubt whether they were ever saved. But oh, the person who realizes like Mr. Gladstone that they're just a person are saved by grace. And as old William Carey put it, he said as he lay dying, I'm just a poor helpless worm 
On thy kind arms I fall, the everlasting arms. Now, why did I read Psalm 17? Well, because it contains Mr. Gladstone's favorite Bible verse. We really want to get to that now, because we don't just want tonight to be a history lesson. If that's all we do, then it's a waste of time. Far better we hadn't come tonight. But let's get to the word tonight. Psalm 17, take your Bible please, and go down there to verse 8. Move your finger down to verse 8, and uh, listen to William Gladstone's Bible text. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Do you know these words were written on the flyleaf of a book that was given to the Prime Minister during his lifetime? A friend came to him with a book and said, Mr. Gladstone, would you sign this book and would you put on it some wee motto or quotation that means a lot to you? He didn't have to think for five seconds. Psalm 17, verse 8, that was his text. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. He wrote it down on the flyleaf of the book. It's a good one, you know. It's a good prayer to pray. David prayed this prayer. And this was Mr. Gladstone's prayer as well. And we long that the incoming prime minister would be a man of prayer or a woman of prayer. What a prayer to pray. We couldn't pray a better prayer. We could all pray this prayer tonight, couldn't we? Let me start there with the first part. Keep me as the apple of of the eye. It was the old commentator John Trapp who said that, that here we have the tenderest part of the body, that's the eye, and you've got the tenderest piece of the tenderest part, which is the apple of the eye, or we would say the pupil, right there in the center of your eye, the tenderest part of the body, and folks, you'll do anything, anything to protect it. You see somebody raising their fist to you. You'll cover cover the face. And it's the eyes that you really want to protect. You see something flying in your direction. Boy, you'll turn to protect the eyes. Because the eyes are an amazing organ in the human body. So wonderfully and fearfully given to us by our maker. And David and William Gladstone and ourselves, we could pray this prayer and pray that God would keep us. That's really what it's all about, folks. Lord Jesus, you've saved me. Now keep me. Maybe you're not even saved. Well, you need to be saved. And you can be saved tonight. But then when you're saved, you, you not only, you, you, then after that, you need to say, Lord Jesus, keep me. Now I'm weak as water. It's like the boy who, he said, thank you, Lord, for how you've you've helped me. And I'm getting on all right, Lord, so far today. But now I'm about to get up out of my bed, so I'll really need you, Lord, the rest of the day. 
And folks, as soon as you put your feet to the floor in the morning, you need the Lord to keep you. And if the Lord doesn't keep you, dear knows where you'll end up. Keep me as the apple of thine eye. In other words, Lord Jesus, guard me and protect me and shield me today because I'm, I'm weak and I'm feeble. Now think about your eye for a wee moment. The Lord has put wonderful protections around your eye. Think about it now. Be amazed at your creator. Think about your eye sockets. Sure, they're like mountains, aren't they? Mountains around the eye, just like the mountains around about Jerusalem. The socket of the eye. What about the eyebrows? They're just like a hedge around your eye, isn't it? The Lord has put a hedge around your eye to protect it. And then what about the eyelashes? Sure, they're like a fence. It's like a fence around your eyes. To keep them safe from danger. And then the Lord has given each one of us eyelids tonight. And I hope you're not using them tonight and falling asleep on me. And that they're not closing. But the eyelids are like curtains, aren't they? You know how you close the curtains or the blinds at the end of the day. And we close our eyes and our eyelids and sleep at night. All these things the Lord has given us so that our eyes are kept. All these protections, I want to say that the soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose will know his protection and his keeping power and and all that is necessary the Lord Jesus will bring into the equation to keep his child. And if you're saved tonight, he'll keep you. You'll not keep yourself, not for one minute, not for one second, but he'll keep you. And I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able, I'm not able, but he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Keep me as the apple of thine eye. And then let me finish tonight. David's prayer and Mr. Gladstone's prayer, and let's make it our prayer tonight. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. What wings is the psalmist talking about here? It's the wings in the Holy of Holies. You remember the Ark of the Covenant and the cherubim with their wings overspread. It's amazing when you think about it, folks. And you see the psalmist here, he's praying that the Lord would hide him under the wings, under the wings. Now, not on top of the wings or beside the wings, but it has to be under the wings. Next question, what was under the wings of the cherubim? Well, let me finish tonight by explaining. There was the blood The blood sprinkled on the mercy seat, and woe betide the high priest, and woe betide the people of Israel, if there was no blood on the mercy seat. They were doomed, they were damned, there was no hope. 
Is it any wonder that Mr. Gladstone prayed that the Lord would hide him under the wings? The place where the blood is. Don't we love to be near the blood? Don't we love to be near that precious fountain that we have already sung about tonight? The blood was under the wings of the cherubim. And I want to say tonight, and I suppose really you've heard the gospel before and I hardly need to repeat it. But then again, it's worth repeating, isn't it? That without shedding of blood, there's no remission. And if you ever want to be saved, you need to be washed in the blood of Jesus. It's the scarlet thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation. And without it, there is no hope for your soul and my soul. Then there was also under the wings of the cherubim, you had the rod, Moses, or Aaron's rod that that budded, you remember. Remember, there was a mutiny and a rebellion in the camp of Israel. And the Lord said, Moses, 12 rods in the tabernacle. And we'll see in the morning who's my anointed servant. Is it Moses or is it these other boys? And in the morning, of course, Aaron's rod had budded and the Lord, it was made clear for all. Moses and Aaron, they are my two servants. The rod that budded is a picture of the risen Christ. Something that was dead coming to life. Jesus was dead for three days in the tomb. But hallelujah, up from the grave he arose. If you want to have hope for eternity, your faith must be in the risen Christ. Then also under the wings of the cherubim you had the pot of manna. And this is a wonderful lesson for us tonight when we're saved that the Lord provides for us. He provided for his people as they journeyed through the wilderness. And he'll provide for you and for me as we journey through the wilderness of this life. What's your need tonight? You worried about the future? You worried about the price of things? And you know, humanly speaking, you would be worried. Are you worried tonight about about your sickness, your pain? Things that you're dealing with on a daily basis. Fear not tonight. Fret not. Because the God who put the pot of manna under the wings of the cherubim is the God who provides for his people in 2022. He'll provide for you. Jehovah Jireh. He did it for Abraham on Mount Moriah. The ram caught in the thicket. And he'll do it for us thousands of years later. Then let me finish. There was the tables of the law under the wings. The law. The broken law. David knew that he had broken the law. We could go into it tonight, couldn't we? His adultery, his murder, Uriah. Long list. Mr. Gladstone realized that he had broken the law of God. And we too tonight need to always remember 
that in many things we offend all. But you know the wonderful news is and the wonderful thought tonight as we finish is this. That even though the the law was in the Ark of the Covenant, the law that man has broken, it was covered by the blood. Hallelujah. And the laws of God that you have transgressed and that I have transgressed, if we will only come to the blood of Jesus and let his blood cover all those sins that are in our past, then that's exactly what he will do. Don't you just love the words that we were singing earlier? Weary of selfishness and pride, false pleasures gone, vain hopes denied, deep in thy wounds my shame to hide. Christ crucified, I come. Will you bring your pride and your shame tonight to the deep wounds of Jesus and hide them there? I want us to finish off tonight with Mr. Gladstone's favourite hymn. You've only got uh, 700 to pick from in the book. I'll not be cruel. I'll not make you guess. 335, 335. Rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. And Britain's greatest prime minister loved to sing this hymn. He loved to recite it. Do you know that he even translated it into different languages? That people in other lands would learn about the glorious Saviour and the wonderful gospel that he had known all his life. What a wonderful hymn, 335. Mm-hmm.